Some of you are going to find this a bit incredulous, but here's something that federal, state, and local governments all tell us to do that we should actually listen to. Eat more fruits and vegetables. You've heard about the health benefits of increasing plant-based nutrients into your diet, but how can you easily consume all the fruits and veggies needed? Well, it's easy. By adding Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity into your meals. Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity is a power blend that has 31 fruits and vegetables in every scoop. Organic vegetables, super greens, super fruits, and super sprouts. It is fortified with essential vitamins plus an immunity boost. And right now, you can get a free two-week supply of Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity by just paying $8.95 for the shipping and handling. And not only that, you'll also get a free frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown American drink. Go to grownamericansuperfood.com forward slash John and order today. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is Sirius XM Progress. I'm John saying Welcome to Channel 127. This is the Love Fest, bringing good trouble to the right-wing bubble. How are you? Hope you had a good week. I'm so glad you're still here. Heck, I'm, I'm glad any of us are still here. And for the next three hours, we're going to be coming at you with uh, a lot of quality here on Channel 127. And um, let me begin by just saying thank you for all the kind words about last night's uh, uh, show, last night's tribute to David Crosby. Um, I just want to say tonight that uh, David Crosby had decades of serious drug abuse. David Crosby abused cocaine. David Crosby abused alcohol. He abused heroin. He had many medical problems. He had a long battle with hepatitis C. He had to get a liver transplant in the 90s. He suffered from uh, uh, type 2 diabetes. He uh, had to cancel a tour a couple years ago because he had to have a cardiac catheterization. Uh, He just had heart surgery again a couple years ago after that. And he just died at the age of 81. And there are still motherfuckers who are going to say it was the COVID vaccine that killed him. That's all. That's it. You know they're going to do it. You know someone like Dave, David Crosby made Keith Richards look like an Amish amateur when it came to excess. He was the Keith Richards of excess. <laughs> There's still people who are going to say, oh, it was the COVID shots that killed him. So join me in saying, fuck those people. We're going to keep on celebrating David's life, his music. Um, and his never-ending, very public process of growth and grace. We are also marking the 50-year anniversary of the Roe v. Wade decision by the U.S. Supreme Court. And we've got a couple of very special guests to talk to tonight. One is Amy Littlefield of uh, The Nation magazine, who has written so many great pieces. She's the abortion access correspondent for The Nation. And her most recent piece is about cities and states that are acting fast to blunt the impact of Dobbs. For generations, we've seen right-wing anti-legal abortion rights forces using state and local government to deny abortion access. Well, now 
in the three months since Roe v. Wade has left us, there has been a record-setting flurry of legislation at the state and local level to bring back abortion access. And it's very interesting seeing how this is playing out on the local government level out of the eyes of the mainstream media. We're used to seeing abortion rights chipped away at the state and local level bit by bit. But what about the reverse? We're also thrilled to be joined tonight by the great Rachel Lazar, who is the current president and CEO at Americans United for Separation of Church and State. Earlier uh, this week, 13 clergy from six different faiths filed a lawsuit challenging the new abortion bans in Missouri and other related abortion restrictions as unconstitutional because they're imposing one narrow religious point of view on all residents of the state of Missouri, and because it is a religious point of view, they are violating the separation of church and state. It's a really inspiring and legally fascinating lawsuit, and I'm thrilled that Rachel will be here to speak with us. Also, next week, I will be doing the show from Los Angeles, and uh, we're going to be doing some interesting interviews while we're out there. I think, Chris, including uh, Timothy B. Schmidt from the Eagles. I think they're going to actually let me back into the Hollywood studios to sit down with uh, Tim Schmidt. We've had a lot of a lot of great musicians on the show. Never had an Eagle. Had Credence, had Run DMC members, a lot of East Streeters. Never had an Eagle. So I'm very excited to have him on. We have some other really fun uh, celebrity guests coming up soon. We hope we can announce. Chris Hauselt is our executive producer. He's running this thing out of the South Carolina Bureau. The great Thea Harper, who, my God, it's been so great uh, having Thea back. She was away last week on vacation, and we're very happy she had a good time off. But, you know, having her back has been wonderful. She's going to join us, I think, later on in the show to uh, make a very special announcement about uh, something she's been working on that we're going to be airing in the show next week. And, and you know, we just missed her a lot. I mean, and, and no one's happier that Thea is back than, of course, a group we don't talk about enough, uh, all the creepy guys who call and talk to her while she's trying to work. And we want to give a special shout-out to all the creepy guys who want to call and talk to a bright, strong, beautiful young black woman and make small talk while she's trying to do her damn job. Thank you all very much. Um, we're glad Thea's back and she's going to hopefully class up the show and join us later on in the evening. Is that all the announcements? I think. I think we're good. Yeah. And thanks to everybody who liked the Stephanie Miller show today. I'll be joining Stephanie in her studio in person uh, next week while I'm wrapping up my LA trip. So let's get to it. Let's do a damn show. <laughs> no, here's how I wanted to begin. Here's how I wanted to begin tonight's show. I had planned tonight to be a, a salute because, as you know, today's a big anniversary. No, not the 50-year anniversary of Roe v. Wade. It's the 19-year anniversary of the Howard Dean scream. That's right. It was 19 years ago that all of us were obsessed with the Democratic primary race. Who was going to be the Democrat that would knock off George W. Bush? I mean, the guy was doing a terrible job. There were no WMDs. He had sent our troops to war on a lie. There were terrorist attacks against the troops every day. I mean, it, this guy would be easy to knock off. And we all wondered, oh, will it be Gephardt? Will John Kerry have the mojo? Will it be Kucinich? Maybe this 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 very attractive man, John Edwards, he seems like a good family guy. <laughs> Maybe he'll be the one. And then out of nowhere, out of nowhere, this New England governor with a very simple proclamation. I brought health care to the citizens of my state and I can do it for all 50. It suddenly came out of nowhere and he wasn't that liberal and he wasn't that conservative. But man, this guy could work a room. Do you remember? Do you remember way back in the midst of time, the presidential campaign of 2024? Oh, my God, how they would come out there and just like give their speeches. And a lot of them, you'd agree with them, but not a lot of fire. Only Kucinich and Howard Dean 
Chris, do we have the clip? Here it is, folks. 19 years ago tonight, Howard Dean, he, he, he didn't win the New Hampshire primary, uh, and he didn't want to let that slow him down. But the media was determined to slow him down. Now, before you hear this, just remember, this happened a couple days after Howard Dean went on Chris Matthews' old daytime show on MSNBC and said, because he was doing so well in the polls, seemed so unbeatable. And he went on and he said, uh, we're going to break up all the giant media monopolies. Well, the giant media monopolies heard, and they had other ideas. The giant media monopolies were the ones who made the Dean scream. I went on Dennis Miller's show uh, a year after this. Dennis Miller had a, had a primetime show on, uh, on C-SPAN, and I did Dennis's show a couple of times, and he had a button on his desk that would just play that Rawr! part of that scream over and over and over again. The media made sure everyone heard this man sounding deranged, and that's how they killed universal health care in the United States in 2004. But there's something more interesting to talk about, uh, something that, that I, I think is, is seeming like the story of the day, but it really is to me the story of the season. And that is a seething, searing, scathing, scorching, stinging indictment against Trump by a judge overseeing his case. Guys, Donald Trump got smacked today. He got smacked so hard, Adderall flew out of Junior's nose. Today, we saw a complete and total evisceration of Donald Trump and his lawyers' abuses of the courts. And it's important because it is as much a smackdown of Donald Trump as it is of the sad bastard to take his money to waste the judge's time. No, no. Again, there's good news. Uh, this is good news. But on top of this, we just saw Davos today where all the most evil people in the world go to talk about how they have it rough. Today, more than 200 millionaires, including some American millionaires, presented a manifesto to the World Economic Forum to tax the ultra rich, including themselves. This happened the day after America hit our debt limit. And the Treasury Department is now taking extraordinary measures to make sure we can keep the lights turned on as a country for the next couple of months at a time when Republicans are urging Biden to cut spending for poor people as their condition to let our economy still function. 200 patriotic millionaires, including some Americans, have demanded they be taxed and they will be ignored. Now, uh, it, let me get back to Trump because Trump, he didn't have a good day. And he you, you might be hearing that tonight he wants reporters jailed to find the Supreme Court's abortion leaker. We discussed this last night, but after months and months of trying really hard, non-investigator Chief Justice Don Roberts has revealed his investigation turned up nothing in terms of who it was that published or that leaked the draft Supreme Court majority opinion showing they were planning to overturn Roe v. Wade in a few months. John Roberts searched and searched, couldn't find who it was and gave up. <laughs> didn't call an outside investigator in to help. No, they didn't need it. Why? Because it's all performative. It's probably a conservative. You know it's probably a conservative. We went through this last night. If it was a liberal, they would have found out. But the fact is they don't want to release it. They don't want to bring in more investigators to find out who it was. The investigation itself was just the cover story over the shock of the verdict being released early. That's all it was. They never cared. Now they can abandon it because the shock is over of the ruling. No one cares. But today, Donald Trump cares. And Donald Trump is trying to distract from the real story by demanding the reporters who published the leaked majority opinion that they be jailed. 
He wants to throw journalists in jail. It won't take long before the name of this slime is revealed. Okay. Now you might ask yourself, wait a second. How can Donald Trump be having such a bad day that he wants to change the subject so bad He's going back to jailing journalists in a free society. I mean, this is a big story. <laughs> Megyn Kelly said, guys, they gave up on finding the Supreme Court leaker. Unbelievable. I don't want to knock Megyn Kelly. She's a co-worker. But, you know, a journalist would ask, why would John Roberts refuse an outside investigation of who did the leak? Megyn doesn't need to worry about that. Let's get to what happened today. What happened in Donald Trump's increasingly sad life? Because I I'm trying to convince you guys that Donald Trump is done like disco. He'll never be president again. And here's more proof. Here, we are confronted with a lawsuit that never should have been filed. Oh, this judge, this judge, Chris, this is, Chris and I were discussing this judge is, is, is U.S. District Judge Donald M. Middlebrooks of Florida. And I want to know what actor is going to play him in the movie. Judge Donald M. Middlebrooks of Florida. I, I keep thinking it should be Charles Durning as Pappy O'Daniel in, in uh, Brother Where Art Thou or, or uh, Daniel Craig uh, in, in, in Knives Out. I, this guy, I just, I, I want this guy to have a foghorn leghorn voice. Here we are confronted with a lawsuit that never should have been filed, which was completely frivolous, both factually and illegally, and which was brought in bad faith for an improper purpose. Mr. Trump is a prolific and sophisticated litigant who is repeatedly used in the courts to seek revenge on political adversaries. He is the mastermind of strategic abuse of the judicial process, and he cannot be seen as a litigant blindly following the advice of a lawyer. I've decided that's how he sounds, and I apologize for the rest of this bit. That's how I'm going to portray him, because here's the deal. Remember way back in March of 2022? I, I know, through the looking glass, 10 months, Trump had the brilliant idea of suing Hillary Clinton and some other Democrats, alleging that they were trying to rig the 2016 presidential election because they were bringing attention to his many, many ties with Russia and his campaign's many, many ties with Russia. Like, like his lawsuit alleged racketeering and a conspiracy to commit injurious falsehood. It was a bullshit, bullshit, bullshit kind of, of lawsuit. But that's what Donald Trump has always done. In the New York real estate community, he wouldn't pay contractors. And so they'd sue him. And so he'd sue them back because he has deep pockets. He can afford the lawyers. And that's how he avoided paying people. And word got out. If Trump doesn't pay you, you're stuck. You can't sue him because he'll sue you back. But now he's trying to sue people who have deep pockets as well. And now the courts are starting to get annoyed. Donald Trump claimed that that Russia scandal cost him more than $24 million. And he wanted Hillary Clinton and the other people he was suing last March to pay for that, to pay more for that. So a couple of months ago, back in September, Judge Middlebrooks, he dismissed the suit that Trump had filed against Clinton and the FBI officials in the Democratic Party. In September, he said these claims that they conspired to sink his campaign. He said these were political grievances masquerading as legal claims. This cannot be attributed to incompetent lawyering. It was a deliberate use of the judicial system to pursue a political agenda. Uh, he went on to cite the attorney's cavalier attitude towards the facts. Now, <laughs> the judge said back then the suit had glaring structural deficiencies. You know, he, he just he tore him apart. Yet he persisted. Donald Trump has kept up having frivolous lawsuits, including against the New York State Attorney General, Letitia James. So last September, Judge Middlebrooks ordered uh, Donald Trump's attorneys to pay $50,000 as a penalty for advancing a frivolous lawsuit. And Trump kept on with his lawsuits. So today, <laughs> today, Judge Middlebrooks 
brought the hammer down on Donald Trump and one of his attorneys. Today, Judge Middlebrooks ordered Donald Trump and his attorney to pay almost $1 million as a penalty for filing the lawsuit against Hillary Clinton and the other people in the first place. I mean, he, he talked about Donald Trump's recent lawsuit against the Pulitzer Prize Board. Letitia James, the attorney general of New York, the big tech company, says lawsuit against CNN. He said this case never should have been bought. Its inadequacy as a legal claim was evident from the start. No reasonable lawyer would have filed it. <laughs> Mr. Trump is a prolific and sophisticated litigant who is repeatedly using the courts to seek revenge on political adversaries. He's a mastermind of strategic abuse of the judicial process. I just love it. I could read this guy's voice all day. I've decided he sounds like this. The plaintiff consistently misrepresented and cherry-picked portions of public records, reports, and filings to support a false actual narrative. Factual allegations were made without any evidentiary support in circumstances where falsity is evident. He fined him a million dollars. He said, at its core, the problem with Trump's complaint is that the plaintiff is not attempting to seek redress for any legal harm. Instead, he's seeking to flaunt a 200-page political manifesto outlining his grievances against those that have opposed him. And this court is not the appropriate forum. Okay, I'm really going to try to stop doing that voice now. But guess what happened? Uh, Trump went home, or probably never left his house. He doesn't leave his house much these days. But he took a night to think about it. And he posted some very angry shit on his little truth thing, his little website he has. And then today, Donald Trump withdrew his lawsuit against New York Attorney General Letitia James. Uh, by the way, that case was also before Judge Middlebrooks. Trump had sued Attorney General James last year in response to her lawsuit, saying that he and his company misled banks and others about the value of assets in the process she called the art of the steel. And we already know the Trump organization has been found guilty Trump was trying to stop Letitia James from having any oversight over the family trust that controls his company. And he's had this 35-page lawsuit going through the same claims from his previously dismissed lawsuit. And Judge Middlebrooks got pissed. He said, this litigation has all the telltale signs of being both vexatious and frivolous. I'm sorry, the man said the word vexatious. You know he talks like that. <laughs> and Trump folded like a gap sweater. So what does it mean? Well, I think what it means is you can fuck around with Congress and you can fuck around with the office of the presidency. But the judicial branch of government is not something you get to fuck around with. And if you do, brother, you are going to find out the judicial branch is not something celebrities play with for their amusement. Trump got fined a million dollars for bullshit lawsuits today. Guys, isn't it nice to see a little bit of accountability? To see actual consequences happening in real time, this should have been the lead story everywhere today. Because it shows if you bow down before a bully, he's going to keep on bullying you. Sometimes, I'm sorry to say, you got to punch the bully right in the nose. Because this ruling by Judge Foghorn Leghorn, it's directed more to Trump's lawyers than it's even directed to Trump. Now, we don't know what this is going to do. I mean, he's going to file other lawsuits. He's still got his dumb lawsuit against the Pulitzer. But, I mean, he was fined specifically $937,989. <laughs> so, yeah, they've withdrawn their lawsuit against the New York Attorney General, which means that judge and that judge's sanction worked. It had an effect. And when politicians or when lawyers lie in public and try to use the courts to advance their lies, well, 
They can do that with the media. They can do that in government. But they should pay a price for dirtying up the judicial branch. I'm sorry, it's a patriotic story. He is the mastermind of strategic abuse of the judicial process. And the real true indictment of Trump's gross misuse of the legal system is that he also fined the attorney who abused the profession to help him. He groveled before this judge like his kids groveled before him for love. Guys, I know a lot of you still want to see Donald Trump in jail, and a lot of you are sick of hearing me say this. I've been wrong about things before, but I don't think he'll ever be president again. I don't think he'll ever go to jail. And that's okay, because A, focus your attention on Ron DeSantis. Focus your attention on Congress. And B, um, who cares if he goes to jail? He's already in prison. They're going to chip away at his empire piece by piece. He's getting bad news from courts like every other week. Guys, the demolition is in progress. Stop and smell the train wreck. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. I'm John Fugel saying this is Progress After Dark. I'm so excited to welcome our next guest back to the show. First, it was 50 years ago, uh, January 22nd, 1973, that the Supreme Court issued the landmark 7-2 decision in Roe v. Wade and protected a woman's constitutional right to uh, abortion access. Today, the White House put out a statement saying, Never before has the court taken away a right so fundamental to Americans. In doing so, it put the health and lives of women across this nation at risk. The Supreme Court opened the door for new challenges to other fundamental freedoms, including access to contraception, the right to marry whom you love. Millions of women now live in states with extreme bans on abortion, many without exceptions for rape and incest, or where doctors can be jailed for providing reproductive care. Today, trailblazers who thought fought heroically for the next Roe v. Wade decision are watching the next generation grow up without its protections. And that's true. And it's a great statement by the White House. However, that next generation that is growing up without its protections is still fighting back. We're used to seeing abortion rights chipped away at on the state and local level, bit by bit, here and there. But now after the Dobbs decision, um, and combined with the lack of action from Congress, we have seen abortion rights supporters move into the po- using the power of local and state policymaking, which we usually associate with abortion opponents. So claims our next guest, the nation's abortion access correspondent and a journalist who focuses on reproductive rights, healthcare, and religion. What a pleasure to welcome Amy Littlefield to SiriusXM. It's great to be with you, John. Hello. Hi. Happy New Year. How are you? 
Happy New Year. And what a grim and yet, you know, I hope we can sound a note of hope here about the Roe v. Wade 50th anniversary. It is, you know, we're we're watching a human rights crisis unfolding in real time. And we're also seeing some really historic organizing efforts getting underway in the States, as you mentioned. It's been so strange emotionally. On the one hand, I know I should be outraged and furious all the time over this. At the same time, I just am overwhelmed by how I keep getting inspired over and over and over again by Americans taking action in the most unlikely of places, um, including Kansas, including Virginia. I mean, we're just seeing the fact that they awoke a sleeping giant. The majority of Americans didn't want this. And now, as your excellent piece in the nation, uh, cities and states are acting fast to blunt the impact of Dobbs. We're seeing a record setting flurry of legislation to protect abortion access on the local level. Absolutely. And even expand abortion access to protections that, you know, abortion rights advocates really would have only dreamed of before Roe v. Wade was overturned. And so it really is a sort of head spinning duality here that you have to understand. There's a a whole subset of states that are moving rapidly to not just ban abortion, but to try to criminalize and take action against anyone involved in trying to help someone access an abortion, even across state lines, against people who are even sharing information, you know, have this draconian push as far as possible in states like Texas, right? And then you have states like not just California and New York, right, the, the, the places that we would expect, but you have cities and counties within some of these deep red states like Tennessee that are moving to do everything they can, that are allocating public funding to support reproductive health care access, that are moving to deprioritize criminalization of um, abortion seekers and and providers, um, even though they know within their states abortion will be banned and so and is banned in this moment. And so um, it, it it's a lot to take in. Yes, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> well, I mean, your piece in the nation goes into the history of it in in, uh, in frustrating detail. I didn't know that, you know, just five years after Roe v. Wade, it was Akron, Ohio, passed an ordinance mm-hmm. with a lengthy list of abortion restrictions. And uh, the first Ronald Reagan Supreme Court struck that down in 1983. Cut to last year, you point out state legislatures on the very local level enacted a record 108 abortion restrictions across 19 states. This is all before Uh, Roe v. Wade was overturned or shortly thereafter. So, I mean, they've had a head start. Those who want to criminalize abortion access. What is it looking like now in the first few months since the fall of Roe for cities and municipalities that are beginning to expand? Right. Absolutely. I mean, as you point out, you know, conservatives really decades ago set out to create a stronghold of power not just at the state legislative level, but city councils, school boards, counties, right? These were the places that they could fight back against everything from desegregation um, to, you know, any any progressive policy that might be happening at the federal level. And, and progressives and Democrats over time just ceded this really important territory in many cases. And I think the pro-choice movement was often willing willing to um, focus its energy on federal policy, on defending against what they knew would be 
barrage after barrage of terrible anti-abortion laws at the state level to fight that in federal court. Um, And, you know, we, of course, have been seeing the consequences of that for years. But I think finally, you know, once people started to see the writing on the wall that Roe v. Wade was going to be overturned, and then certainly in the immediate aftermath of the decision itself, there's been a tremendous amount of momentum building finally behind Hmm. state and city um, and county action um, and the use of 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 local government to expand abortion rights. And, you know, in the piece, I talk about the Nashville Metropolitan Council member Delicia Porterfield, who, you know, just hours after the Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v. Wade came down, was already working on figuring out, okay, abortion is going to be illegal in Tennessee, right? because Mm -hmm. it's one of the states that had a trigger ban in place. And she knew that. But she was trying to think creatively about ways to blunt the impact of that law and to try to get reproductive health care to everybody she could. And even within, you know, a state that's in this deep red brick wall of states where abortion is now banned, you know, they were able to allocate half a million dollars to Planned Parenthood and they were able to pass a measure asking police to make investigating abortions their lowest priority. And Mm. and so that's a big deal. And, And we saw measures like this, you know, in Atlanta in Seattle, in New Orleans, in Denton, Texas, in places, you know, across the country that you may and may not expect. Um, And it set a record in the first three months after the Supreme Court decision, the National Institute of Reproductive Health counted 17 states and at least 24 municipalities that were expanding or protecting access to abortion. And so that is a huge deal and a sea change in progressive and 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 abortion rights strategy that that I think is is certainly worth noting. Yeah, it's amazing to think about. I mean, nothing against the Democratic Party. There are some uh, Democratic elected officials who are uh, excellent uh, on this issue. There are some who just pay at lip service. There are some who who don't do much at all. But one mm-hmm. thing we know about American politics is if the people lead, the leaders will follow. We didn't get marriage equality because politicians led the way. And so it just feels so amazing to see how much we're witnessing on the local level a new generation of people, including a lot of the millennials and Gen Zers that, you know, get written off with the same nasty stereotypes that Gen X was once written off with, who are now filling this void and bringing a new generation of activism because they're the first generation of women to have fewer rights than their moms and grandmas. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, any Democrat that wants to trash Gen Z at this point is way out of line. I mean, we're (laughs) coming out of a midterm election where if you look at the numbers, you know, young people, especially young women, really saved the butts of Democrats in this past election, saved them from from what likely would have been a disaster. And and right, this is a generation for whom the the fall of Roe v. Wade is a, a defining um, political moment. I mean, imagine coming of age, you know, becoming sexually active, becoming an adult at a time when your right to terminate a pregnancy is disappearing before your eyes, right? right. Um, and so I think 
that's hugely important. And I think we're also seeing a, a generation of local and state lawmakers, you know, a lot of them women of color, a lot of them young, who are seeking out public office because they understand that this is a way to make meaningful change. I mean, Congress is not um, putting on a very good advertisement right now for mm-hmm. uh, public service, careers <laughs> in public service, right? But I think, I think that activists who do this work at the state level um, and who have been really involved in this for some time have understood you can actually make policy <laughs> in the states, <laughs> right? You can actually do stuff there. And well, um, did, and again, yeah. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you about that because I, I want to talk about some of the specifics and you lay out some really inspiring specifics in your excellent piece in The Nation. I mean, Atlanta, Chicago, Columbus, Fresno, um, Nashville, right. New York City, you know, four states and at least 11 localities have already gone after the financial barriers to abortion. Absolutely. And that's huge. I mean, let's remember that three years after Roe v. Wade, Congress passed the Hyde Amendment, the ban on federal funding of abortion. And that created a two-tiered system for abortion right from the start. There were two Americas. There was one where people who had insurance or who happened to live in blue states where they could get Medicaid coverage of abortion were going to be fine. And then there was the situation for people who lived in conservative states, the majority of states where their Medicaid coverage was not going to cover abortion. And so low income people did not have the same access to abortion as everyone else. And that's been the case, you know, since just a few years after Roe v. Wade um, came down. And so this issue of public funding, which, again, the Hyde Amendment, people forget it had to be renewed every year in Congress. Right. right? And there were plenty of years when Democrats had control of that Congress. Right. Mm -hmm. And and the Hyde Amendment became um, accepted practice. Right. That was ground that was seeded many, many years ago. And, And talking about the idea of public funding for abortion became this sort of third rail. And yeah. so it sure was it for was, Joe Biden. It sure was for Joe Biden until oh, almost absolutely. the last. I mean, Biden. Right. He 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 evolved when he had to evolve. That's exactly. And your point about you know victories never belong to politicians; they belong to the movements that make them do the thing, right? And yeah, so, yeah. so that was certainly the case for Biden, who supported the Hyde Amendment right up until he realized he was uh, in a, a waning minority there. And you know, progressives in the Democratic Party, like Bernie Sanders, taking a strong stance on it, and then you know, enormous pressure from reproductive justice groups like All Above All that were making the Hyde Amendment a political issue. And 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 showing that it was racist, that it was discriminatory against low income people and that it had created this this deeply unequal system of access. And so I think it's incredibly exciting that we're starting to see um, conservative. I mean, New York City was the first right to come out of the gate and and directly fund abortions that happened in 2019. Um, but we've seen four states and at least 11 localities that have have tackled this. And again, as you point out, that happened in places where you might not expect it. Atlanta, Chicago, um, and Cuyahoga County, Ohio, St. Louis, Missouri. Davidson County, Tennessee. Yeah. Right, right. I mean, this is really um, interesting and exciting and most importantly, impactful, right? Because this money will have a tangible impact on people who who might not otherwise have had access to abortion at all in this really deeply restrictive moment. You also point out 
California, Massachusetts, Delaware, and New Jersey, uh, where abortion is still legal, all moved to protect against any kind of abortion-related prosecutions. Uh, I assume that includes prosecutions from attorneys general in other states who may seek to uh, incarcerate women who travel out of state for the procedure? That's exactly right. I mean, these are states that have taken, uh, have made it a mission to say we are going to be haven states for abortion care. And that means we need to protect providers who might be trying to offer telemedicine care, who might be caring for people who are traveling long distances um, in order to be able to access that care. And we know that, you know, especially in Texas, which has become sort of a laboratory for the worst, you know, anti-abortion and anti-transgender legislation, there are efforts to sort of throw everything at the wall see what they can do to try to make it feel legally risky to even donate to an abortion fund, to make it feel legally risky to, quote unquote, aid or abet someone. Right. And yeah. so um, so, you know, the threats are very real and and no one's quite exactly sure what form they might come in. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, whether people are, you know, whether the risk is arrest or whether it's, you know, being sued under these bounty hunter laws um, in, you know, for for private for civil damages. Um, but these are states that have taken action to make sure that they're protecting people um, from legal threats, um, including extradition to states where abortion is banned. Um, Absolutely. And again, I mentioned those measures, um, including in parts of Georgia and Texas um, and New Orleans, all states where abortion is banned. Well, in Georgia, there's a six-week ban. Texas mm-hmm. and Louisiana both have total bans um, that are deprioritizing abortion-related prosecution, which which That's is a it. huge deal. Again, this because is, this is what the, the the attorney general in Florida is getting into. The local prosecutor in Florida is getting in trouble for right by by saying that they will not prioritize prosecuting women who terminate pregnancies. But we're seeing it in all these red states where the cities are creating safe havens. I'm so sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And and it's not just, you know, I mean, of course, anti-abortion activists will say, oh, we, we will never go after the women, you know, well, and, and some of the, the anti-abortion measures we've seen coming about um, since the the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade have explicitly said this is not about, you know, they always want to see the, the person carrying the pregnancy as a victim, right? That's part of their sort of narrative. Um, and so often it's about providers or in Texas, you know, it's about legal threats that have been directed at abortion funds, at grassroots organizations that pay for people to travel out of state or to do um, what they need to do in order to get access to abortion. And so, um, and they've even tried to go after the donors, you know, to, to yeah. get access to, to donors to those funds. And so that really raises the specter of, wait a minute, is it risky for somebody sitting even in, you know, in New York to donate to an organization? I mean, they're trying to make it feel like it, it would be. So, so I think there's a huge amount of confusion and fear and, and just open questions about what exactly, who's going to be prosecuted, um, who's going to be punished, what does that look like? Um, what is the pushback? <laughs> right? Yeah. But I think it is very meaningful that cities and counties in these red states are drawing a line in the sand and saying, we don't want to stand for that. Well, it's amazing to see that they're actually following the model of, say, uh, Pastor Mark Lee Dixon who you reference in your piece, who's convinced all these cities to, to ban abortion by declaring themselves sanctuary cities for the unborn. I mean, most of those cities you point out 
didn't even have a clinic, but he's just doing it. A lot of it's performative, but he's doing it so effectively on a on a state and local level that now we're seeing abortion rights activists taking a page out of the same playbook. Absolutely. And and Mark Lee Dixon is this fascinating figure to me. He's an anti-abortion activist who, you know, at one point in his life would stand outside of abortion clinics trying to get, you know, convince women to change their minds about having an abortion. And at some point, you know, sort of got into the legal <laughs> arena, um, paired up with Brian Hughes, a, a state lawmaker in Texas, and with Jonathan Mitchell, who's a really savvy legal strategist. And they came up with this idea of for a private civil enforcement mechanism where instead of arresting people, you would have uh, everyday citizens enforce anti-abortion laws. And they figured out that this could be a way to get around the courts. And um, (laughs) the bounty hunter plan, the bounty hunter plan. Exactly. And the way that they tested it before it became state law in Texas and thereby, you know, allowed Texas to ban abortion at six weeks before Roe v. Wade fell. Um, you know, we forget that for months, Texas had this six week ban in place, even before the Supreme Court took action. And it's because of this bounty hunter plan. Um, you know, they devised this and they tested it out in, in city ordinances. And, and nobody was paying attention as city after city, you know, passed these or I shouldn't say nobody, local activists, local reproductive yeah. justice activists in South Texas and places where they tried this, you know, were pushing back and, and in some cases successfully. But but I think on a national level, Level, um, there was not much attention to these sort of city by city um, ordinances. And Mark right. is still out there doing this, you know, and and testing out new legal strategies and testing out new ways of not just making new laws, right? He's not just testing, okay, is this going to work? Is this going to get past the courts? I think he also understands the power of passing, for example, he's passed a series of these ordinances along the, um, in Eastern New Mexico, right? Yes. Because New Mexico is at the end of this wall of of 10 states where abortion is banned right and yeah. most importantly and and on the largest scale texas um which is right next to new mexico and where there were 58,000 abortions in uh, in 2020 okay so the I, need I, yeah. is just yeah coming out of texas and alone is astronomical and mark has been quietly going up and down you know the new mexico border and has succeeded in, in convincing cities and counties there to pass versions of his ordinance that's right now, are they enforceable in a state like New Mexico? You know, I, I think the courts would likely say no. And yet that could potentially convince clinics not to not to Absolutely. set up shop there. Right. And, right. And it, right. Where people need it most. And that's why it's great to see those tactics are being used by the side protecting women's reproductive freedoms. Amy, I'm so sorry we are hitting our break. Amy Littlefield of The Nation is the author. The piece is called Cities and States Are Acting Fast to Blood the Impact of Dobbs. And Amy, how many measures to protect abortion rights has the Democratic Congress passed? (laughs) Yeah, you think you know the answer to that one, John. (laughs) Yeah, zero. Thank you so much for joining us. Please come back again soon. We'll be right back after this break. This is Progress. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash to watch. Sleeping Dogs, 
now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. I'm John Fiegel saying this is Sirius XM Progress. We are at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. We have been talking about the 50th anniversary of Roe v. Wade and the various kinds of ways that the people are leading so the leaders might follow, as you may have heard, 13 clergy members from six different faith traditions just filed a lawsuit this week uh, challenging Missouri's new abortion bans and several related abortion restrictions as unconstitutionally imposing one narrow religious doctrine on all the residents of the state of Missouri, as well as violating the separation of church and state. And that is why I am so glad to welcome one of my favorite Americans in all of the world, Rachel Lazar, who is president and CEO at Americans United for Separation of Church and State. Good God, this organization is fighting so hard to preserve our government and to preserve religion at the same time. She used to be senior counsel at the National Women's Law Center. She is one of the plaintiffs in this lawsuit challenging the state abortion bans that do violate the separation of church and state. It's a great pleasure to welcome Rachel Lazar back to SiriusXM. Hello. Thank you. Hello. So good to be back with you. I so am not an actual plaintiff. However, oh, we I'm are so sorry. Bringing the lawsuit. I am. I am you not are bringing a the lawsuit. That's You're right. bringing the lawsuit with the National Women's Law Center, Americans United uh, for Separation of Church and State, with the National Women's Law Center, are suing on behalf of, as you said, 13 clergy from six different faith backgrounds. We uh, had our big press announcement in Christ Church Cathedral. It was a beautiful affair, one of my favorite moments in America, always when people come together across their differences and stand up for the rights and freedoms of their neighbors. So nice. And I thought it was so beautiful because I I, I just feel like one of the things you point out in the suit that's so important is to me, it's about the difference between being Christian and being a Christian supremacist, because while some people were very, very nakedly obvious about their Christian faith or their interpretation of it that is driving their legislative agenda, your lawsuit points out, this lawsuit points out that for many of these faiths, they are called on to support abortion access because they care about the lives of women. Exactly. They are actually called upon to support abortion access and they're Christian. They're Christian and they feel called upon as people of faith to allow all of us the freedom to our own conscience and to our own religious and moral beliefs. And that's also a beautiful thing because it keeps faiths thriving in America and because it keeps our democracy sound. Yes. This is why I love it, because for me as well, as you know, um, as I'm fond of saying, we've discussed it before, there is no, in Christianity, there is no Christ-based justification for criminalizing abortion. There is no biblical justification for incarcerating women, harassing women outside clinics, forcing teenage girls to carry and bear their rapist attackers. 
or punishing poor women with greater poverty. It has nothing to do with Christianity, and that's why I always admire your efforts so much. But in this case, you're right. This is just a violation of everything our Constitution is supposed to stand for, isn't it? I mean, beyond the fact that there's no Old Testament or New Testament argument for criminalizing this procedure, there really isn't. They don't even take into consideration that not all residents of the state of Missouri follow this religion. They're pretending bans abortion. Exactly. You know, there were three reasons why we started with Missouri with this trailblazing strategy of suing to challenge abortion bans under church state separation. And one of the reasons is because what you played on the the video, me saying um, my uh, our record, the legislative record here was crystal clear with lawmakers boasting about the religious motivations for this these bans that they were passing and they even wrote their religion into the law itself so into that's the law into the law <laughs> and, you know and unabashedly and that's where you know these folks have changed from trying to hide their religious motivations knowing that they're violations of church state separation to being so emboldened today that they're even despite the constitutional violations they're boasting and bragging about it which does make our case a little easier so that was reason number uno number dose is the missouri state constitution is so strong when it comes to church state separation it's amazing Mm -hmm. i mean it's so well known there i honestly was picked up by this uber driver um, from the airport, and I was practicing my remarks. So the Uber driver <laughs> says, do you mind if I say something? And I said, uh, I was a little nervous, like, oh, what point of view are you going to come from? But I was, no, no, gosh. And she said, Missouri is church-state separation central. Wow. <laughs> that was, and it was really kind of amazing. I mean, people in Missouri have a very proud tradition of being for it. And in fact, the courts have interpreted the state constitutional church state separation clauses to be even stronger than the federal ones. So that's sort of incredible. That was reason number two. Right. Then there's a third reason, which is that the state Supreme Court there's pretty moderate, like pretty decent. And, yeah. you know, that's the highest this, this case will go to the state Supreme Court because it's challenging a state law. You're right. Under a state constitution. So it doesn't go higher than a state court. That's important uh, for for many reasons. I want to come back to to how the religion was baked into HB 126. But to the point you just said, that's very important because that means that this case will never go before this particular U.S. Supreme Court, which is heavily stocked with people who perjured themselves to get the job. It's a pretty it's a pretty scary moment where the Supreme Court is is acting like it is. And honestly, I think like this this attempt to change religious freedom into religious privilege for those who hold the power of the majority on the U.S. Supreme Court in a state legislature is a very dangerous thing for the foundation of our country. You know, it's very dangerous. Got to call it out. I have to tell you, we, we've we've talked a bit on the show about House Bill 126 in Missouri, yeah. and we talked about how it had a trigger ban, you know, um, and that would prohibit all abortions as soon as Roe v. Wade was overturned that day. What's really shocked me in reading about this lawsuit, however, is how openly and brazenly, and if I may, smugly and blasphemingly, if that's a word, you would know, not me, they were just writing their own personal religious beliefs, again, none of which have anything to do with Jesus, 
into yep. this law. I mean, the, the, declaring in the bill, Almighty God is the author of life. Yes. Um, I don't know how it gets more black and white violating separation of church and state than putting a line like that into a law. It's so crazy. It's a it's 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 crazy. It's like unbelievable that we're living through this moment. And the the attorney general tried to you know fight back against our lawsuit yesterday by t- reassuring the state that we will protect all unborn children. And it's like, there you go again. It's like, you're even stating your religious belief in your attempt to say that the lawsuit is bunk, right? Yeah. You're like, you're putting our case. But yeah, I mean, I could read you. I mean, the bill sponsor Please, said, Yeah, I've got some quote. I want to, I want our listeners to hear some of these quotes because I, yeah. I was a bit shocked. I was a bit shocked that these men, because we can guarantee they're all men, that they didn't even have the game to think about what they were saying before they put this into the record. Please share some of the things that the Missouri legislators said as they were taking rights away. Yeah. So the bill sponsor said, quote, and I'll say this again, as a Catholic, I do believe life begins at conception. That is built into our legislative findings currently in law. Another representative said, uh, let's see, Mr. Speaker, I just wanted to say that I do truly understand the many difficult choices that have been talked about today. But to me, God doesn't give us a choice in this area. He is the creator of life. And I, being made in his image and likeness, don't get to choose to take that away, no matter how that child came to me. To me, life begins at conception and my God doesn't give that option. It's like, does it ever occur I mean, to these guys that their personal religious views are not shared by all? No, Missouri? because they're in the conservative bubble. This is the right wing bubble. And in the right wing bubble, Jesus loves the death penalty and hates abortion, even though in the book we call the Bible, it's the exact opposite. I I, 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 I got to say, when I read that one of them was saying life begins at conception, Psalms 119 says <laughs> Psalms 119 has yes. nothing to do with criminalizing abortion. I mean, again, I'm furious at how they're creating this this theocratic Reese's cup of getting your church in my state while at the same time completely bastardizing what the holy book actually says. Yeah, well, I, I love hearing as a Jewish person it gives me such great comfort always to hear Christians, you know, fighting back against like Christian nationalists and religious yeah. extremists. It's really, it's awesome to use your, in that regard, right. Where you have some more privilege in society. Um, and I know that you, you know, I know that a lot of Christians feel like that you don't have privilege in progressive circles, but it's like the same thing. It's like, okay, but like in American society still, <laughs> The majority of people are Christian. And so, yeah. you know, it's it's a it's a form of baseline, you know, still in yeah. this country. So it is privilege. And it's really nice to have Christians using their privilege. And that's what we had in this lawsuit. Like the Episcopal bishop Tell not me. only lent us his church, but was one of our plaintiffs. You know, we had a Methodist pastor of 41 years who's now a state legislature, a legislator. We have a United Church of Christ pastor who's running to be a leader in her denomination in the national denomination. Like it's really, it was, and more and many more, like it was really rabbis, several rabbis as well. So yes. And I do not take that for granted. You know, we had many reform uh, Jewish rabbis and even get this an Orthodox Jewish equivalent to a rabbi. She was incredible. Um, Rory Pickernese, she's called a Maharat. But she is, you know, she had the head covering and everything. And 
there she is, like fighting back as an Orthodox feminist Jew. It was really amazing to see. Amazing. I, I find it so inspiring that these 13 clergy members are filing this lawsuit. But, you know, as you know, in Florida, there was this progressive synagogue that sued to stop the state law from prohibiting abortion after 15 weeks because they said that conflicts with Jewish law. And this is a point we are hearing a little bit here and there in the media. And of course, as you all know, um, in the Torah, uh, it's pretty clear in Book of Genesis that life begins with first breath. And God makes it clear in Exodus that a fetus does not have the same value in his eyes as a woman's life because a fetus is property. Uh, and of course, abortions are legal and free in Israel. Um, do you think it's important, Rachel, that more Americans are made aware of what the actual position of Judaism is on this issue? I was thrilled to see this synagogue trying to block the state from doing this because they're acting like there's only one faith group. Yes, it exactly. So it's it's essential to the dialogue, right, to changing that conception that there is just a baseline and that's like that's the norm and that's sort of the way everyone that's what being a true American is. Right. Mm -hmm. Like being part of that norm. So it's great in shifting the, the dialogue and the narrative. Our lawsuit is different in this regard. That lawsuit is seeking a religious exemption for one group of people. Correct. Right. And that's that would be the, the victory. Yes. Um, our lawsuit would nullify the entire ban for everyone and says that it's a violation of everyone's religious freedom from the devout to the non-believer. Right. Yeah. And so it's a little bit of a different. Um, oh, trap. completely, com completely, right. completely. I, I'm just a fan of the genre of activism yeah. because what, what you're doing, I mean, you're trying to get a permanent injunction striking down these bans. And you pointed out that because of this new law, House Bill 126 and some earlier regulations restrict, restricting abortion, um, they violate three different sections of the Missouri Constitution, uh, prohibiting state and local officials from compelling people to support or participate in any religious activities or beliefs that they don't necessarily belong to. And it doesn't this use public money? To support religion? Yeah. It does. <laughs> it does. And that that's also something that's protected against in the Missouri State Constitution, as is favoring any particular religion, which this so clearly is. I mean, it couldn't be more explicit here. And um, Ruth Marcus wrote a great, we were really happy with it. She wrote a wonderful op-ed in the Washington Post today. She sure did. It's um, fantastic. Yeah. Did you read it? You, of course you read it. You're, you're quoted in it. Yeah, it's great. I am I mean, quoted you, in it. I am quoted in it. And, and, can I say, you said abortion bans impose one narrow religious viewpoint on all of us. For a while, our opponents got smart and they weren't explicit about the religious motivations in their bills. But in the age of emboldened religious extremism, they are saying the quiet part out loud. I just want to put you in the White House and let you say these things and you be secretary <laughs> of saying true facts about this stuff. <laughs> Thank you, John. Thank you. Well, I love the way she started her piece, too. She quoted Justice Sonia Sotomayor. And here's another great Christian, right? Like, everyone's like, yeah. oh, all those Catholics on the court. Guess what? Justice Sotomayor is Catholic. That's and right. she is the best friend that we have to church-state separation. She's amazing. Um, but she, yeah, she, during the Dobbs oral argument, asked the Mississippi lawyer this question, quote, how is your interest anything but a religious view? And she followed up. So when you say this is the only right that takes away from the state the ability to protect a life, that's a religious view, isn't it? And the Missouri lawyer had nothing to say in response because there isn't something to say in response because abortion bans impose one narrow religious that's view it. on everyone. Are you optimistic about this lawsuit? Yeah, I mean, I, 
I, I kind of am. I, I mean, obviously, too. like you never know, but um, but in a state where it's been made so explicit that it's religiously motivated and where the church state protections are so strong, we have an excellent case. I'll tell yes. you that much. Yeah, it's no, I've sound. Been- I've been reading about your case all day, and it's thrilling. I can't wait to see how it plays out. I hope you come back and join us and talk more about this issue as the year goes on. It's so great to have you back. Uh, Rachel, what is the best way for our listeners to keep up with the lawsuit and all the great work Americans United for Separation of Church and State are doing for all of us all the time? Atheists benefit from your work, too. A hundred percent they do. I mean, we bring together the non-religious and the religious every day to fight in the courts. Congress, public square, state legislatures for freedom without favor and equality without exception. And you can follow us at Americans United everywhere. And you can go to au.org and support us and check out our beautiful website. And you can even buy cool hats and read and be updated on everything church-state separation, including our lawsuit where you might also see a very cool video of celebrities. Have you seen that yet, John? I haven't seen that one. No, I'm excited oh, to see it. I'm dying for you to I'll see that. Yeah, check it, yeah, out. it out. It's on our website. All these celebrities decided to speak out for church-state oh, separation. Yes. I did I did see it. I did see that video. Yes, I did see it. Cool. It's dynamite. Yeah, so that was amazing, too. Well, you know what, Rachel? I, I thank you for joining us again, and I thank you for what you do. And I've said this to Reverend Barry Lynn as well in the past. You know, I, I've always said for a long time that if we could get all the cool people of faith and all the cool atheists together and realize that our commonalities outweigh our differences and cool, empathetic atheists and cool, empathetic believers tend to fight for a lot of the same causes, we could really see some change in this country. Your organization is one of the places that is doing that right now every day, and it's so inspiring. Thank you so much for the work you do. Thanks again, John. I definitely will talk to you again soon. And um, thanks, everyone, for listening to more about the lawsuit. Go to au.org. Check us out. I I love it. Thank you so much. Happy New Year. Quick break. We will be right back with your calls at 866-997-4748. 866-997-GRIT. This is Progress. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We're at 866-997-4748. Let's go to the phones because y'all have been holding on hold for so long. Let's fix that. Louise in California. Thank you so much for your patience. Thea, can you pick up on Louise's call for me? Hi, Louise. Welcome. 
Hi, John. Good evening. I am so thrilled to get a hold of you. Oh, I, thanks. You are my solace when I get out of work, which is usually like between 6 or 7 p.m. So oh. I catch up on the news, which I delightfully can't listen to during the day because I'm working. Mm. I know the but feeling. Filming on, <laughs> yep. And the music. Oh, listening to Marvin Gaye. Oh, boy, did that... Touch my soul, I gotta tell you. Thank you. Uh, we try to not play was... too much of what they call crap on the show, and I appreciate you noticing. Thank you. Oh my God, are you kidding? And, and the birds, oh, forget it. That was the best. They had melody <laughs> and, and a real talent, and Marvin Gaye's voice. Oh, yeah. The best. Yeah. Anyway, okay. So I'm gonna get down to business here. Um, uh, so commenting on. <laughs> the anniversary of Roe v. Wade. Please. Uh, I want to start uh, with two things I want to say. I want to give you, since we're into histor history, and I'll give you a personal historical experience that I had. Please. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm, you know, at that age, I grew up in the 70s. I was kind of a wild child. Oh, my. And I had a lot of fun, you know. And I remember Planned Parenthood going to Manhattan. I lived in Queens. I went to Manhattan. And as soon as they opened a Planned Parenthood clinic, I was in there, boy. I was getting my contraceptives because oh, wow. I was planning on having a good time without <laughs> worrying about getting pregnant. And Oh, then, wow. It sounds like the 70s. I missed the real party. Go on, please. <laughs> Oh, the best in New York. It was. It'll never be the same again. But anyway, <laughs> and 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 you felt the, um, you know, just the ease. I mean, when I think about, I walked in. I I they did my history, my you know the health stuff that they do. Right. And I got and I got my my uh, my pills, my birth control pills. No problem. Hmm. And and so that was a freedom that I can't even wrap my head around yeah. women that now live in states. We're not even talking about abortion yet, just getting contraceptive. Mm -hmm. so, They're trying. They're so, trying. Okay. So, so, my, so that was my experience. I'll never forget it. Then, of course, my gynecologist, you know, would prescribe the whatever, you know. So but that was a wonderful, wonderful freedom that I, I just still can't believe it's being denied now. But now, so let's fast forward. The second <laughs> thing I want to talk about. Tell me, is, Louise. Um, the strategy. So I go crazy with the Democrats because. The quote, air quote, messaging is driving me nuts. This is a bigger issue than the word abortion. Now, now the, the problem is that immediately people who are borderline, uh, you know, for or against, but, you know, when they hear abortion, it's a very ugly word to them. Yeah. I think the Democrats need to change how they word the message. Because Tell me how you mean. How should they, how should they rephrase it? I will be very specific. Okay. Um, this is about 
a woman, uh, uh, the government seeking to control a person's body. Yes. That's what, number one, and, and it has to be, it's not just the, the act of whether a woman wants to terminate her pregnancy. It's not their fucking business. <laughs> right <Look> on. <laughs> Not always. No, no, no. They're not always mushy. There's a lot of Democrats who are real fighters. Come on now. You know that. There's a lot of Democrats who are great. There are too many who there are too many who are mushy. But let's not paint the whole party with that brush, Louise. Okay, not the whole. No, no. Well, I'm I'm one of the people in the party, so I'm not mushy. But there we go. What I mean is our leaders who have the power by being in the government to, to to bring the message to everyone, whether male, female, whatever, uh, whatever religion, age, and so forth. This is an issue that's bigger than all of that. This is about government controlling our bodies. I agree. Which, ironically, ironically, but uh, when when we did want to help people with the COVID and the vaccines, oh, all of a sudden, all the right wing Looney Tunes came out with, the, you know, the, the, the whole thing about the government trying to take over. But that was for safety. OK, right. That's for public health, for public health. Right. So this issue is bigger than all of that. So I would love, like, I have Ted Lieu as my representative here. Hell of a man. He does our show a lot. He is. He's good. And But uh, even him, and, and I'd like to see our new House Speaker, and and even from the Senate side, um, and I'm kind of mad about Diane Feinstein. I wish she would just, like, retire and let somebody I, more, I, I think more. that choice is being made for her. There's already two House members in our beautiful yeah. state of California running against her for the Senate seat. So I, I, I don't think you have to worry about that anymore, Louise. Yes. Listen, I, sh- yeah. I, sh- I share your frustration. And you're right. I mean, these people are frauds. They're charlatans. You know, what I say all the time is when I have men, because my opinion as a male on the matter of abortion is that male opinions on abortion don't matter. But what I say to the guys is, why don't we have a law that every man in America has to have a vasectomy at age 14? And then when you're ready to have a child responsibly, you can get a free reversal. And men will always say the same thing. You can't do that. The government can't have control over my body. And that's exactly what we're talking about. So I guess what the, the final point is, I would love to be involved, uh, and I'm going to talk to my representative here, in promoting the, the, a different form of messaging that is attractive to everyone, border independents, borderline Republicans that are not too far gone, you know, on the Kool-Aid. You know, just, just uh, attract people to understand the gravity of this abortion law in Amen. terms of women and and men men because if a woman gives birth to a, a baby and and the man is responsible in one yeah. way or another so, uh, no no the man is responsible men are responsible for pregnancies you know this women can only get pregnant a couple days a month men can do it all the time the burden should be on men Louise, I got to run, but I love your call. Thank you so much for joining us.